Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody. Almost Sideways Podcast. This is our first podcast in March. It is March 1st today when we are recording. Uh, welcome back. We're so glad you are joining us. Make sure if you're finding us for the first time that you subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Uh, we're also on Spotify. You can find us on there as well. My name is Terry Plucknett, your host. Joining me as always are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm having, um, in honor of Gone in 60 Seconds, um, a beer that uh, I also sort of informally like to call Gone in 60 Seconds because I can drink it in 60 seconds, and that is a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. These don't last much longer than 60 seconds in my house. Oh, mm. so how many of them are you going to go through in this recording? That's the question. Uh, if I do the math right, about 150. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anywhere between 100 and 150, depending on how our how our recordings go. Uh, Todd, what do you got today? Uh, I got the same thing I was drinking last time, the Hunter Rye Canadian Whiskey. And it's still got that 90 proof bite. Nice, nice. So I went to the store today, because I gotta get a beer for the podcast. Um, and I've... I, a great brewery, local brewery, it's Elysian. I think... I'm trying to remember, is this a Seattle brewery or a Portland brewery? I don't remember. I think it's even. I think it's a Seattle brewery. I think it's a Seattle. Yeah. Anyways, this is their uh, Contact Haze, Hazy IPA, and uh, the reason I got it, and I got to show this to to you guys on the camera, and none of you listening will be able to figure this out. But look up this can because tell me that doesn't look like Nicolas Cage. Ooh. Or John Cusack. And and so those that can't <laughs> see it, this is Nicolas Cage, and they're like cracking his face open and getting access to his brain. Like, that is beautiful. Not only does it look like Nicolas Cage, but that is like the plot to a Nicolas Cage movie right there. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> it should have been the poster to Adaptation. Yes, it should have been. It should have been. Take this can, make it the poster to Adaptation. I agree completely. All right. Well, let's get started. Let's jump right in. We are going to be... Uh, doing a few quick movie reviews, looking at the stuff that we've uh, been watching recently. And then, like we've already said, we're doing a deep dive on uh, on a guilty pleasure of, uh, of at least Todd and me. And that is, uh, that is Gone in 60 Seconds. So, uh, we're going to look at, uh, let's look at what we've been watching recently. Todd, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, tell us about what you've been watching. So the movie I went to the theater to see, I'm sure neither of you did, is uh, The Impractical Jokers movie. Yes. uh, Directed by Chris Henchy. Because I love Impractical Jokers. I watch the show all the time, and I've seen them on their comedy tour twice, and so I had to go see what what they were going to do in a movie. I I couldn't figure out what it was actually going to be like. And so, in a way, it's sort of like Borat in its structure, like... It's uh, it's got like a fictionalized storyline about like how they were at a Paul Abdul concert in 1992 and like all went to all, the whole thing with the shit and then they kind of got the idea to start the show and like do dares without being able to question it 
And uh, and then so it cuts to present day. They run into Paul Abdul, and she gives them three passes to her uh, to a big party she's having in Miami. And but there's four of the guys, so they have to decide which one doesn't get a go. So they go on a road trip, performing their normal shenanigans and stunts and challenges. And the one who loses the most has to stay at the hotel when they get to Florida. Now it's kind of a clever idea for how to do a movie, uh, and how to kind of expand the exposure of the show because it's a true tv show so it's i mean it is like a sort of a, a big hit cable show but it's on true tv so no one necessarily watches it uh some of the challenges work some don't a lot like the show i guess uh, and but the the actual storyline the scripted storyline is kind of lame but i mean I, i'm an easy audience for the movie i i mean i enjoyed it but at, at the same time i know it's not it's not very good and and like the guys aren't actually great at acting as themselves and, but uh, the main problem I had with it was that uh, they uh, it feels a lot like the TV show in a way. Like I, I feel like they just had a whole bunch of extra segments from the season, and then they just decided like we'll just throw them all together and try to wrap a storyline around it. And it kind of works, but it also kind of doesn't. Like they have they'll like bleep out a word that you can't say on cable, but then they drop an f bomb in this in the scripted stuff. So it's it's just a uh, little things like that. It's kind of better than I thought it was going to be, and it's also kind of worse than I thought it was going to be at the same time. So I guess it's like a two and a half star movie. But uh, if you're a fan of the Jokers, you'll definitely enjoy watching the movie. All right. I have not seen, like, anything of Impractical Jokers before. I've heard a lot about them, but I've not seen anything. I didn't even know that there was a movie. It has not been released at all here, but to the best of my knowledge. I'm pretty sure it expanded to wide release this last weekend, so. It should be around somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it. it. It's at some theaters around here. Not all of them, but at some. Um, all right, all right. Uh, Zach, how about you? What have you been watching? Okay, well, yesterday I saw the uh, new film by Kitty Green, The Assistant. This is a film that premiered at the Telluride and Sundance Film Festivals to pretty good reviews. It's a movie I saw a preview for, was pretty excited about, and it coincides uh, conveniently with the Harvey Weinstein trial. It uh, is a look at the day in the life of a uh, basically uh, glorified sort of administrative assistant secretary uh, production assistant who works at a Miramax type uh, movie production company in New York City and she's played by Julia Gardner and uh, it she oversee well she she basically maintains the secrecy of what goes on with her boss inside her boss's office her boss is obviously loosely modeled on Harvey Weinstein along with maybe some other studio bosses uh, the movie is not as sensationalistic as that uh, description may make it seem like it's actually much more kind of in the vein of like Gus Van Sant's death trilogy I mean it's kind of like almost experimental almost like an exercise where like long passages of the movie are her doing very mundane things like getting a blender ready and preparing coffee and cleaning up the office and I think it kind of underscores the banality of these people at Miramax that had to cover up uh, Harvey Weinstein's heinous behavior and sexual assault um, actually, interestingly, the movie never shows the guy who she works for, which I think is a is a conscious decision by the filmmaker to make the focus more about the people beneath him. Um, it's a pretty good movie. I don't know. Thinking about it and talking about it is probably more interesting than the actual act of watching it. Um, I think the director is really interesting. She did the series Watching John Bonet 
on Netflix a few years ago and uh, sort of a similar thing where it was like sort of a high concept thing. Um, it's obviously the beneficiary of, of good timing right now. I don't think it's necessarily a movie that, that was made for mass appeal. It's not real, There's no real commercial prospects for it. Again, it's not a sensational. It doesn't depict any sexual assault. It doesn't even really depict any major confrontations. It's all about this kind of day in the life of this, this woman who has to reconcile her desire to move up the, the ladder in her company while also uh, the morality of covering up someone who's doing horrible things. So it's a really interesting movie. It's certainly not for all tastes. Um, it's certainly not the sensationalistic movie that I think some people would expect, but it is a solid movie nonetheless, a solid three-star movie. Yeah, I've heard good things about that one. It's a, It'll be an interesting watch when I, when I get a chance to catch it. Todd, have you seen that yet? I have not. All right. Okay, so yeah, we're uh, we're recommending a bunch of movies that no one else here has seen, and I think I'm gonna do the same. Uh, I didn't get to the theaters at all this weekend, but last weekend I caught. Uh, I always try to get in a double feature when I can at the theater, and so last weekend I had a very polar opposite double feature, as usually is the case. Um, I started it off by going and seeing Sonic the Hedgehog, um, which I must say is a whole lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's funny how a movie that was wrapped up in so much controversy when it first was, you know, when that first trailer dropped last year, and then they pulled it pulled it off and uh, and redesigned the character because of so much fan backlash. Um, you'd think that that just screams this movie is going to be a disaster, but it was actually really good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you have. Um, you have James Marsden playing playing the the small town cop that Sonic befriends. Jim Carrey is, I mean, he is as vintage Jim Carrey as I've seen him maybe in twenty twenty five years. Uh, like he is like if Ace Ventura were old and a bad guy, that would be his character of a uh, uh, doctor. I think it's Doctor Robotnik. Yeah, isn't it kind of what he did in uh, Kick-Ass Two? Um, honestly, I never saw Kick-Ass Two. Oh, okay. But it might. It, I mean, it it might have been. But th- I mean, this is like like even the cadence he has as he's talking. It's like this is this is Ace Ventura esque, um, and and just completely hamming it up in a way you never see him do anymore, which was kind of refreshing, but also kind of distracting. Not gonna lie. Um, but no, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Sonic is, is hilarious. Uh, I gave it three stars. Um, it was in a theater full of kids and the kids really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's a fun, fun watch for the whole family. Uh, unlike the second movie I watched in that, uh, in that double feature and that was Downhill, uh, the, uh, American remake of, uh, Force Majeure, uh, this was, uh, starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell and it got... It got pretty horrible ratings, I remember. And um, I think it got a, like an F cinema score or something like that. And I think because when you hear Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell, you're thinking it's going to be, you know, on a, on a ski slope. You're thinking it's going to be this slapstick comedy. And it is about as awkward of a real-life thing as you could possibly get. Um, it, it's it's definitely Will Ferrell being like his, his subdued straight man. 
Um, but no, it, it it's there are times when it's so awkward you just have to laugh. Um, it doesn't always work, but uh, it definitely was um, was an interesting watch. I I enjoyed myself. I ended up giving this one uh, two and a half stars. It was um, it was good, but not um, not not super great quality. It, you could easily catch it when it comes out on on uh, on disc or on streaming or something. Uh, not necessarily when you have to go out to the theater to catch, but uh, but interesting is a great is a great word for. It. Especially since you know Julie Louis Dreyfus never does movies, so it's worth seeing her in a movie. I think it's always worth seeing Will Ferrell no matter what he's doing. Um, so. So that was my double feature uh, at the theater. Yeah, Force Majeure is a really good movie. I haven't seen Downhill. Uh, but what I thought was kind of interesting about it is that, uh, again, I haven't seen Downhill, but the plot of Force Majeure is basically the exact same as the plot of the Seinfeld episode where uh, George uh, is in the uh, uh, the birthday party with the clown and there's a yes, fire. Yes, yes. Yep. So, you know, it's <laughs> nice to see the Julia Louis-Dreyfus connection a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And and I haven't seen Force Majeure. I, I saw I saw Downhill before I saw that. And um, I have a feeling Force Majeure is probably a little better. Um, usually the source material is in times like that. But, uh, but no, it, I mean, it, it's worth a watch, but uh, don't go out of your way to go see it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I saw in theaters. Uh, I do also want to report before we get into our deep dive... Uh, on my anniversary movie uh, watches, so two weeks have gone by, so I've seen two new movies that were nominated for Best Picture that are celebrating anniversaries this year. Um, so I'm not I'm Best here to, Picture, just Oscar. Or not Best right? Picture, just Oscar. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Not, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm here to report first on uh, the 2000 film Hollow Man, which was uh, which was nominated for Best Visual Effects. This was directed by Paul Verhoeven. And starring Kevin Bacon, Elizabeth Shue, uh, Josh Brolin, before I knew Josh Brolin existed. Um, and uh, this movie is pretty much garbage. It, it's a horrible movie. <laughs> it's like every, you can tell every every actor is completely phoning it in. The dialogue is horrible. The The only redeeming value in this movie is the, the visual effects are pretty cool. Like... The whole thing is they're doing science experiments to make living beings disappear and then bring them back. And so they go through this like visual effects thing of showing all the body parts like and internal organs disappearing and then watching them all regenerate and come back, which is pretty cool. Uh, other than that, I mean, like YouTube that scene and then you're good and you don't have to watch the movie because the movie's garbage. Um like, I actually even like Kevin Bacon, but in this movie, no. It's just bad. It's bad. Uh, what did I give? I think I gave it one star. I think that's where I was at with it. Yeah. Uh, second movie was much better. Uh, and that one... This is a weird one. So the second movie I watched was Barney's version, which was nominated for Best Makeup in 2010. And the funny thing about it is it was nominated for Best Makeup in 2010, but really didn't get an American theatrical release until 2011. So I'm still wondering how it was nominated for an Oscar in 2010, but anyways. So uh, this is Paul Giamatti, Rosamund Pike, Minnie Driver, Dustin Hoffman, Scott Speedman. Uh, it's a really interesting cast, and it's, a, it's kind of an interesting story, but I didn't necessarily like how it was told all the time. 
Uh, Paul Giamatti does his uh, does his best uh, reenactment of of Miles Raymond in Sideways. Um, definitely a very similar character. It's like Barney is like if Miles Raymond had like got breaks in life, and uh, and yet still was as cynical as ever. That's that's who Barney is, and uh, but uh, I mean he he does his thing. It's a it's a decent movie. It's an interesting watch, but. And there's nothing super special with it. I didn't even think the makeup was that interesting, but uh, I gave it two and a half, uh, two and a half stars. Um, yeah, worth the watch, and yeah, it definitely feels like, like uh, a little bit of Miles in in that character. Todd, I know you've seen both of those. What do you, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I don't really remember anything about Hollow Man. I'm I'm not really sure how I watched that. Must have been on TV or something. But yeah, I don't really remember it. Uh, but Barney's version, I remember thinking it was a cool movie, and I'll I'll see Giamatti in anything. Yeah. Have you seen I've, either of those, Zach? I've seen Barney's version. I gave it four stars. I remember it actually really well. I own it. I think it is a fantastic movie. Um, really? I I agree with you that it's like I mean I, you know, obviously as sideways fans we get more gratification out of it, but. I think it. I love it. I love the trajectory of that character as he goes through his marriages. I think Minnie Driver's hilarious in it. Um, the scene with Paul Giamatti and his father in the bar when he tells him that he has to leave his second wife for Rosamund Pike is a. I, I love that scene because, frankly, you know, my dad has always reminded me a little bit of Dustin Hoffman, and I, I, I think my dad is is that is that character. But so you know, there, there's like a personal connection there. But I love that movie. I, I it's it's a great underrated movie of the 2010s. And I believe Paul Giamatti won the Golden Globe for Best Actor. Did he not for for that movie? Ooh, Sounds right. A, which Let is one of the more that. one of the more bizarre Golden Globe wins. Uh, more indicative of a weak uh, year, but still, a win is a win is a win. You are correct. He did. Let's see here. Who did he beat? He beat. Jake Gyllenhaal for Love and Other Drugs, Johnny Depp for Alice in Wonderland, Johnny Depp for The Tourist, and yeah. Kevin Spacey for Casino Jack. That's a loaded so lineup. Basically, there was no competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should have been like Jim Carrey for like Olivia Philip Morris, right? Wouldn't that have been? Yeah. Yeah. I that, don't know how yeah. he was like. That movie was kind of ignored completely. Goodness gracious, that was such a horrible lineup. Wow. <laughs> That's like epically bad. Like Jake Gyllenhaal, it, I mean that that's a solid performance in Love and Other Drugs. But I mean, yeah. And and that, and that's like going like a little bit of category fraud by calling Barney's version in Love and Other Drugs comedies, because they're not straight comedies either. But uh, there there have been there have been worse atrocities in in the in that comedy or drama in Golden Globes, but. It's debatable, I think, with those films. Well, I think G. Mati's great in that movie. I think you're underselling it. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I thought Rosamund Pike was horrible in it. I did not really? like her. I thought, yeah, wow. I I thought it was it was like the worst performance I've ever seen her give. Wow. Ouch. <clears throat> yeah. <sighs> no movie with Paul Giamatti as the lead character can be bad. You know. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. Win-Win's a great movie, too. Everything, everything that oh, stars Win Paul Win. Giamatti is a great movie. I think that's just a rule. You didn't like Cold Souls. Oh, but it wasn't a bad movie. I, 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 okay, based on that, I'll, I changed my vote for Cold Souls to give it three stars. And I'm not saying okay. Barney's version is a bad movie. I'm just saying it's not as good as it could have been. 
Anyways, whatever. Zach, were, you were gonna try and watch some movies. Uh, yeah, I was. I was gonna too. say I. I have a milestone pick. Uh, because I'm also, in honor of Terry's list, uh, going to start my milestone picks. And my milestone movie this week was Zombieland Double Tap, which was nominated for the 2019 Fright Meter Award for Best Makeup. And was also nominated for the 2019 Hollywood Music and Media Award for Best Original Score for a Horror Film. And, uh, yeah, it sucked. That's all I really have to say. <laughs> it was terrible, unnecessary sequel. Lame. And that's my review. My milestone review. And, and, and it's celebrating its it's it's a six month anniversary, so you're you had to watch it exactly. Well, and it was an award nominee. It's therefore there, there, it is a milestone. There you go. There you go. And the music uh, like in it for it. as a horror score, not not good music, but not <laughs> worth the nomination of probably the Hollywood Music and Media Awards, the HMMAs. I, I like your list already. This is going to be fun. Hey, w- wait till <laughs> next week. Well, well, my my next one that I have to watch is the uh, is the uh, the wonderful sequel, a hundred and two Dalmatians, which in two thousand was nominated, I think, for best costumes. Right, Todd? That's oh, on, I right? don't know. It was costumes. It was costumes. <laughs> I love that you makeup. assume that Todd would know that off the top of his head. Of course he would. <laughs> I think it probably I, was nominated for best comedy score or something. Oh, back when they split up the drama and comedy scores. It was costume. I remember those It was nominated days. for best costumes. Okay. Probably yeah. beat out Chocolat. So anyways, that, that that's my next Finding one. Finding Forrester. I, I'm, somehow in, in my random selection of my list, I had to suffer through several in a row that were nominated for like the lone tech that, yeah. Can I make like a suggestion? Can yeah. I make a suggestion what? too, Terry? You should watch The Ghost in the Darkness, that really random 1995 or 6 movie that won like best sound or something with Michael Douglas. Do you know what I'm talking okay. about, Todd? Where they like hunt the lion in Africa? I mean, I've heard of it. It was also a terrible. Come... Your, your milestone list should just be terrible movies that inexplicably were nominated for technical Oscars. Like if I, if I come across if I come across another one I can't find, maybe I'll pull that one out instead. I like it. But um so I, I, I to start watching Norbit and Click and yes, Transformers Rise of the Fallen. <laughs> See, I've got 102 Dalmatians, and then okay. after that I'm excited because the one after that is Dick Tracy. I've never seen Dick Tracy. And ah. the, yeah, I'm excited for that one. So next podcast in two weeks, I should be reporting on both 102 Dalmatians and Dick Tracy. So as long as I can find them. Anyways, all right. Well, that let's uh, move on from from all that nonsense, and let's move into yes. our our featured uh, topic of the day, and that is well, I mean, you could say it's more nonsense, but it is one of <laughs> Todd and I's favorite movies. We like grew up with this movie, uh, and it's all our. Um, deep dives this year we're going to try and celebrate some anniversaries and it is the 20th anniversary of gone in 60 seconds the time it took them well, let's go let's go go to steal your car hello ladies 60 seconds move 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 Starring Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie, Giovanni Ribisi, Robert Duvall, a bunch of others. And so uh, so we're going to spend the rest of our podcast talking about that one. If you haven't seen it, oh, it's a great, it's a great action flick. So um, if you haven't seen it, pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back. 
and, uh, and I think it's I think it's on uh, like streaming on like TNT on demand or something like that right now. So you can find it pretty much anywhere. It's not like it was like what 10, 15 years ago when it was playing like, at least like once a week on TV uh, somewhere. Um, sometimes like once a day. But uh, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna deep dive this and we're gonna start with some trivia. And since Todd and I are the experts on this, uh, Zach is going to quiz us. Uh, Zach, had you ever seen this movie? Uh, uh, how 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 should I say that? I, I defer till later in this podcast because I have okay. a funny story to talk about that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, so he's got some trivia questions for us, and so Zach, how are we doing this? Uh, we'll start with you, Terry. So Todd, uh, take off uh, your earphones, and uh, we'll let you know when to come when when to rejoin us. All right. Okay. Excellent. Uh, I, I just have to say to start this, I mean, I watched this, like, today, and it was, I think it might have been the first time I'd watched it in, like, 10 years. Nice. Yeah, I watched it probably about 30 times in that 10-year st- span, but it's been, yeah, about 10 years since i Well, we should it, clarify so. that one of the reasons we're doing this is, I believe this is the movie that Todd claims that he has seen the most. I don't doubt it. I don't yeah, doubt it. So, you have you have quite a, a challenge uh, before you. Uh, we yeah. have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten questions worth a total of sixteen points. Good luck. I don't know. This okay. this, this seems like it could be a challenge, but uh, I have faith in you. Okay, uh, give me the date that Gone in sixty seconds was released. Date and year. Well, it was released in two thousand. I'm gonna say like. Uh... April 12th, 2000. Okay, I'm going to give whoever is closer uh, the point, so we'll, we'll reveal that when we ask Todd that question. Okay. Uh, what is better, having sex or stealing cars? Uh, having sex uh, while stealing cars. That is correct. There's only one, one right answer to that question. <laughs> uh, Gone in 60 Seconds took over the number one spot at the box office from what other film, which ironically starred an actor mentioned in this film starred an actor mentioned in this film oh 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 so it's got to be mission impossible 2 that is correct i was really proud of that question okay uh where does memphis's mom work uh the quality cafe that is correct man nailing this all right what is the name of the driving school that donnie works at oh um Oh, it's on the side of the car. It's got palm trees on I'm going to say Palm Springs Driving School. Uh, that is not correct. Yeah. Uh, it is the Pleasure Cruise Driving School. Pleasure I can't Cruise. Do I do we give answers the first time or do I wait? I can't remember. No, you can get Yeah, you uh, give them. You give All right. Them. Hopefully Todd is not listening. Okay. Uh He's not. At, after they stake out Eleanor for the first time, what does Memphis tell Kip he'd like to eat? Oh, oh man. Um, uh, it uh, cheeseburger? Uh, no, the correct answer is a chocolate malt. Chocolate. Oh, 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 yes. And then they get in, rudely interrupted by the yeah. police by Delroy Linda. It, I, I was gonna say a waffle, but that's that's when he's in the in the diner talking to the Big Rig Wrecker. Hmm. 
When uh, when Castlebeck sees the Eldorado in Otto's garage, what other two cars does he mention that he sees in the garage? Okay, this is I where had two a feeling points. that I had a feeling this was going to be a question, and I and so I kept a. It, it, there's a, oh, it's like a 1936 Ford. And uh, 1970. Do I have to have the right year? Uh, yeah, as close as you can get. I'm gonna say 1978. Um, oh, what's the? Oh gosh. Um. It's, uh, it's like a Fiat Dignali or something like that. Okay, I'm going to give you one point because you got both the models right, but you weren't right on the years. Uh, it is a 39 Ford and a 53 oh. Fiat Vignale, whatever that is. So yeah, one I out of know. two. That, that's, not, that's not terrible. Okay, oh, yeah, All right. yeah, yeah, that's okay. fair. This is worth three points. What does Sway tell Memphis she will take out for him after she puts on her red lipstick? Three things. What does she say she'll take out for him after she puts on... Oh, oh, okay. Three um, items. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. After she puts on the red lipstick. I got nothing. I can't remember. Leather, high heels, and pink underwear. Yeah, that's right. Pink underwear works. Pink underwear works. Yes, he mentions that a few. <laughs> he he mentions it a couple times, so it's not just a total throwaway line. Okay, who pages Mirman while he is at the Auto Impounders, aka the Volvo scene? Who pages him? Yeah, someone pages him, and so he has to run off. Yeah. Oh. 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 Um. Oh crap. Ah. Uh. His his pimp. I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, a midget. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like I just got midget just paged me. That's yeah, right. Uh, a very oh! random line. Okay. <laughs> Last question, and this is worth four points. Okay. Name Kip's four friends and the skills they have. So so there's um, there's um, um, it, uh, so there's Tumblr, who can drive everything with wheels and some things without. Correct. Um, there's there's Mirror Man, who is uh, a whiz with electronics. Correct. There's Toby, who can do a lot of really cool stuff with computers. Correct. And Freb can order a pizza like nobody's business. Nicely done. Four out of four. That gives you a grand total of eight points. So not 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 too shabby. Not not terrible. Todd's gonna kill me though. Yeah, probably. He's gonna he's gonna know those lines that I forgot. Yes. All right. Yeah. To- so we're gonna invite Todd back on. All right. Okay. Welcome back, Todd. Todd, is this the movie that you've seen the most times out of any movie? Uh, I would say collectively, yes. Nice. So we kind of said that Terry had quite uh, an obstacle to overcome. Do you want to know Terry's point total? Sure. Okay, so there are uh, 10 total questions worth 16 points, and Terry did fairly respectable. He got 8 points. So you okay. are going to have to I do, will say, do some work. 
that this was probably the... I, I mentioned this before. This is probably the first time I've seen this movie in ten years. I just haven't watched it in a long time. So, uh, so it... Uh, when yeah, I watched I it today, actually. it was a lot of that, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and that was, like, the entire time. Okay. Okay, so here we go. First question. Name the date and year that Gone in 60 Seconds was released. Uh, I'm going to say it came out, like, May 20th, 2000. All right, well, I, I said I was going to give the point to whoever was closer. Terry said April 12, 2000, and the actual date was June 9th, so Todd gets the point. You were actually eerily close. I mean, that's like, what, 19 days away? It's a little frightening that you would know that. Well, oh. obviously I knew the year. It was a summer release, kind of, but not a prime summer release. I don't know. It was a good guess. All right, next question. What is better, having sex or stealing cars? I'm a sex of boosting cars. How about having sex while boosting cars? That is correct. We uh, Did you notice we both had to do it in a Nicolas Cage accent when we did that? That was like a 100% <laughs> chance of happening. <laughs> I just blurted it out. <laughs> okay, next question. Gone in 60 Seconds took over the number one spot at the box office from what other film, which ironically starred an actor mentioned in this film? Uh, I got this, by the way. I got this one. So shame on you if you don't. Yeah, I Anything? I mean, I don't know what the... I mean, I'll guess, like, meet the parents. I, I have no uh, idea what the... I don't care if it belongs to Tom Cruise. Good guess. But the correct uh, answer is Mission Impossible 2. Okay. Ha! I was really proud of that question. That took like 30 seconds to come up with. All right. Uh, where does Memphis's mom work? Uh, at the Quality Cafe. That's right. Great. Great name. Um, what is the name of the driving school that Donnie works at? Uh, what is it? Like on the top of the car or something? Yes. <laughs> it's on the side of the car I think it's on the side of the car I don't know like ABC driving I, I really have no idea no Terry was a little closer he had the first letter right but the correct answer is <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is pleasure cruise driving school pleasure I think I was I, I at least knew it had a palm tree in the in the logo yeah I'm gonna give you a half point for that Terry Terry's at eight okay. and a half why not <laughs> all right <laughs> Okay, after they stake out Eleanor for the first time, what does Memphis tell Kip he'd like to eat? A chocolate malt. That's correct. Uh, when Castlebeck sees the Eldorado in Otto's garage, what other two cars does he point out? A 39 Ford and uh, a Fiat Denali, like a 51 Fiat Denali, something like that. <laughs> Close. I, I'll, I'll give you a point for the 39 Ford. The correct answer of the other one is a 53 Fiat Vignale. So he, I think he gets one and a half points. Okay, for that. one and a half points for that. Why not? I was off by two years. <laughs> you, you gave me one point for just knowing Ford and Fiat Vignale, so. Okay. 
Well, if I don't arbitrarily give you points, then it's going to be pretty one-sided. All right. <laughs> yeah. What I do, realize this. What three things does Sway tell Memphis she will take out for him after she puts on her red lipstick? Leather, high heels, and pink underwear. That's correct. Who pages Mirror Man while he is at the auto impounders, a.k.a. the Volvo scene? Midget. <laughs> yep. Probably the most random moment of the movie. Okay. <laughs> She's, She's a, a brick. House. <laughs> all right. And then last question for four points, worth a total of four points. Name all of Kip's friends and their skills. Uh, well, Tumblr, he can pretty much drive anything with wheels and, you know, some things without. Correct. Uh, Mirror Man's electronics expert. Uh, he's brought some old gadgets you guys never heard of. Old farts probably uh, never heard of. But okay. well, Toby, Toby uh, is a computer genius. He can do fascinating things with con- computers. I can hack into the DMV mainframe. I can change vid numbers, get addresses, registrations. I can do a lot of tricky stuff. <laughs> and Fred can order pizzas like nobody's business. <laughs> that was frightening. <laughs> all right with a final score of 13 and a half to eight and a half todd wins yeah i mean that that was pretty much a foregone conclusion <laughs> did you Good get that brief. question right terry yeah i got that one right i got that one right <laughs> you can do a lot of fascinating stuff with computers <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so obviously todd is the expert on this movie i'm not too far behind so todd uh tell us about gone in 60 seconds what is it about and uh tell us your uh your experiences with this movie okay the movie is directed by dominic cena and it is about Memphis Reigns, who is a retired car thief, and his brother gets into a lot of trouble with uh, a job that he uh, took and screwed up, and he has to come out of retirement and steal 50 cars in one night in order to uh, save his brother from the guillotine, and his brother's played by uh, Giovanni Urbisi, we've got Oscar winners all over the place in here, Angela Jolie, Robert Duvall, it's a... uh, pretty incredible cast way better than the movie probably deserves but uh that's part of what makes it kind of cool and i don't i saw this movie probably the same time terry first saw the movie and it almost immediately became my favorite movie of all time when i was 12 and uh i've seen it so many times probably 75 times at least uh and uh (laughs) but i hadn't watched it in a long time until the other day uh, but it's always been one of those movies that just, I mean, it, it's an easy movie to watch on cable and I, I still kind of haven't grown tired of it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty similar. Probably not seen it as much, uh, and, and didn't have the, the insane obsession with it quite like you did, but yeah, it was one of those movies that throughout the 2000s just always seemed to be on TV. And it's a movie you could easily just throw on and have as background noise and pick up at any point and just love it. And so, uh, so yeah, it was always kind of that, that guilty pleasure watch for sure. Uh, Zach, what about you? Well, I'm trying to think back to the first time I saw it. Oh, yeah, it was like six hours ago. And uh, I'd just woken up, and it was uh, morning in uh, March. Uh, no, actually, the, the truth is... Uh, I tried to watch it with Todd in Vegas two years ago, but 
um, after a night of many, many wins uh, because of college basketball and uh, lots of drinks consumed, uh, I think we made it through about 40 minutes of the movie, which is about as long as I lasted at the poker table with Todd. And um, I have to say, I really didn't remember anything from it. Like, zero. So I'm glad I rewatched it. I was there for that viewing, wasn't I? Well, that was a trip with all three of us. I think I... Because we were, like, playing it on a laptop. Right? That's, that sounds right. I mean, In I think we did room. play it on a laptop, but I, I, don't, I don't remember you being there. I thought I was there for that. That, that that's so, why did, right. so why didn't and we watch it? Then? Why didn't we watch there. the whole thing then, Terry? <laughs> we, we were too distracted talking, and it was just kind of on, and no one was watching it. Oh. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Was it after your yeah. uh, your your golf? It might have been. It might have been after we went to Top Golf. Yeah. No, it was at night though. It might have been after after we recorded the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that might have been it. <laughs> that might have been it. Uh, okay. So uh, as we go through our deep dive, I thought this time we would start with something we we haven't done this in a while, um, and that is do a do a recast of this movie. If it were to come out today who would be starring in this and part of why I, I thought we would do this with this one is one of the topics we always do on our deep dive is what role would Nicolas Cage have in this movie but Nicolas Cage is in this movie so I had there were there were two options of what we could do we could either do a full recast or we could just switch it up and say what role would Greg Kinnear have in this movie but I decided instead to go with uh, a full recast so we're gonna do our best to kind of recast this in in uh, in what we would what would it it would be today. Um, we're gonna to go through it kind of quick here. Uh, I'm gonna start uh, with my uh, with my Memphis and Kip. Um, oh, I forgot to pick a writer director, but it honestly doesn't really matter. Some some direct like like throw, do like James Wan or something like that, and and you're good. Um, the, yeah. The, the guy who directed Dominic Cena, I was just looking, he like has done barely anything. Like he did Swordfish immediately after this. Oh, well, he and... did that movie California, that serial killer movie with Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Right, in 1993. And then he did Gone in 60 Seconds. Then he did Swordfish. Then he did White Out in 2009 and Season of the Witch in 2011. Those are the only movies he's ever directed. So, I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not a great technical achievement in directing. But um, anyways, my Memphis and Kip, uh, if it were to be made today, because the thing is, like like you guys said, or like Todd, like you said, it, it has a cast that's better than it's worth, and it's just this crazy fun action movie and with some great actors in it. So my Memphis and Kip are Adam Driver and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just see it. I can see it. Directed by Noah Baumbach. <laughs> uh, that's my Memphis and Kip. Uh, uh, Todd, what do you got? Well, I, I kind of feel like the ages in, in, of the actors in this movie are kind of ambiguous. Like, I, I really have no idea how old any of them are or are supposed to be. So I went with Chris Pine as my Memphis. I think he has that kind of... Oh, yeah, that's a good call. And my Kip, I mean, I think he might technically be older than Chris Pine, but I, I Aaron Paul just seems like a perfect Kip. I, I did look up, like, when we always did ca- um, the recastings, I always look up ages and kind of try to get someone in at a similar age range. And, uh, yeah, Chris Pine was about the right age. Yeah, and then uh, 
Aaron Paul. Yeah, honestly Aaron Paul's know. probably like 15 years older, probably. But I, I mean, yeah. I don't. I, he could still play a guy in his 20s. So. One thing I thought was interesting is Angelina Jolie was actually younger than Giovanni Ribisi when this movie was made. Well, and she actually probably still is. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Double check yeah, on that. But uh, but yeah, uh, I thought that was interesting too when she's supposed to be one of the old guard and uh, and Kip is the kid. All right, Zach. What are you thinking? Uh, I spent a really long time thinking of this. Um, I went with, uh, in the last like two minutes, I went with uh, Chris Evans as uh, Memphis and Jesse Plemons as Kip. I was thinking about Jesse Plemons too. He he could fit in a lot of these roles. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, okay, so let's go to uh, let's go to Memphis's crew. So Memphis's crew, you've got uh, you've got Otto. You've got Sway, you've got Sphinx, and you got Donnie. And oh, Atlee. and Atlee. And Atlee, yeah. So uh, I've got, for Otto, I've got Ed Harris. You know, the the, the kind of grizzled <laughs> he's old... He's way too old now. <laughs> no, he, he's, honestly, not, he's not still working at a body shop. <laughs> he, he, he is the exact same age Robert Duvall was in this, when he did this. Exact same age. Um, so I'm going Ed Harris, and then uh, for Sway, I went with Amelia Clark. Kind of one of those it girls that right now. Um, okay. Uh, Sphinx. I went with another Game of Thrones person, Rory McCann, who plays the Hound. Um, I thought he'd be good. Uh, Donnie. I went with Kevin Hart. Um, kind of different stature, but similar. You know, he's the comic relief. And then uh, Atlee. I went with uh, Zachary Quinto. That'd be interesting. I'm not sure he could be greasy enough. Yeah, I know. I was having trouble finding someone that could be greasy like that, but that's that's what I went with. All right, Todd, what do you think? All right, mine's a little weird. I got for Sway. I went with Jody Turner Smith. I I I don't know. It she, it needs to be someone who could create sexiness out of non-sexy situations. I think she could do that. Uh, for Sphinx, I, I thought it was too easy to pick Dave Bautista, so I went with Dominic Purcell. Um, <laughs> Atlee Jackson. I the obvious one to me would be like Christian Slater, but I also would want want to just shout out Boy Meets World and say Ryder Strong a comeback <laughs> role as Atlee Jackson. Not bad. I love it. I love it. Uh, who else do I need? Uh, uh, Otto. Uh, no, yeah, Otto. That was the last one. Otto. I have a. Uh, I went with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, I, there you I, go. I could. I could. Uh, I could see him still still being part of that that world and. Uh, I think that was it. By the way, I almost went for. Oh, my... Donnie, Donnie, the easy one, Anthony Anderson. That was that was. My oh name. yeah, that 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 makes a whole lot more sense than Kevin Hart. Um, by the way, I thought Kevin Hart at that time, like Kevin Hart, should have been Mirror Man, like. Yeah. That, that just should yeah. have been it. Um, and I almost went for Sphinx. I almost went with J.J. Watt. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see him on SNL recently? He was pretty good. He was pretty good. I was thinking like Brock Lesnar almost. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, he's got to be a si- this silent guy. There's no way JJ Watt wouldn't be able to talk. So that's why I went with the Hound. The Hound would have been perfect. Anyways, all right, uh, Zach. Well, for Otto, there was only one choice, and that is uh, Peter Simonashek, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for Sway, I went with Billie Eilish, who could also sing the the song at the, in the opening credits. Uh, for Sphinx, I went with Jason Momoa. For Donnie, I went with Ice Cube. And for Atlee, I went Ben Mendelsohn. 
Uh-huh. Ben Mendelsohn. That, that that would bring a disti- distinguished <laughs> to that role. I could almost see. I could almost see Ben Mendelsohn as Kalitri. No, there's also only one one actor who could play Kalitri. Okay. Okay. We'll say. Well, it in let, second, let's let's do let's do Kalitri now. Let's do Kalitri. So my Kalitri is Michael Fassbender. Oh, that's that's actually a good one. Nice. Not mine, but that's that's not bad. Todd, what do you got? Uh, well, I I don't think he necessarily has to be Italian. I don't think Christopher Eccleston is Italian, so I went with Mike Moe. I mean, it's just got a who who, who played Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I feel like he could, he could be an awesome villain. <laughs> I was gonna say, who the hell is Mike Moe? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you got? Oh, I thought the the obvious pick was Jason Statham, and how is Jason Statham not in this movie? That's a great question. <laughs> I think this was pre-transporter. I don't. I don't this know is if he pre. Was well, this pre-Italian job. That's that was like his big. Was what came first, Italian job or transporter? I think it was Italian job. Transporter was probably two thousand two. And Italian job, I think, it was two thousand one. I think it was Handsome Rob before he was the transporter. It yes. Was. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk about other other movies from this time period that. We watched way too much when we were Italian kids. Job 2003. Dang it. When was Transporter? I'm pretty sure it was after. Look it up. I'm going to start... He did four of those movies, didn't he? I mean, there's no way... It, could, it couldn't have been that early. I don't know. Alright, uh, my... my um... 2002. Suck it. Dang it. Alright, my uh, my recasting of, uh, of Kip's crew... I, I don't love any of these, but I'm I'm going with them. I mean, it's hard because you got to get like the young kids. Like this, you look at Kip's crew, and like only one of them actually turned out to be a decent actor. But um, I've got so for Tumblr, I've got Zac Efron. I just thought that I mean that kind of made sense. Um, mm-hmm. Freb, I've got Justice Smith, who is uh, he's from like uh, the new Jurassic World movie, and he was in. Uh, he's in that new movie that just came out on Netflix this weekend, All the Bright Places with Al Fanning. Anyways, okay. um, Toby, I've got Tyrell Jackson Williams, who's most known for being the, the kid in Brockmire. Um, and Mirror Man, I've got RJ Seiler. Nice. Okay, my Tumblr, I have Ben Robson, who uh, plays Craig in Animal Kingdom. He, it's a total right persona. He's just probably too old. Uh, Mirror Man, I went with Astro. I don't think he actually <laughs> goes by that name anymore, but uh, he was in, like, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and got his, like, claim to fame on uh, The X Factor. Uh, Freb, I went with Dylan Minette, who uh, plays uh, the main character in 13 Reasons Why. He, I, I feel like he has that sort of, like, douchey, early Keanu Reeves-type uh, persona that he could pull, pull out for that. And Toby, I, I don't have a good Toby. I, I just said Lucas Hedges because he's in, like, every movie, so why not just... <laughs> that was not bad. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Zach. Okay, uh, I went with Freb. I went Taron Edgerton. Toby, I said Bill Sarsgaard. Uh, Mirror Man, I said Lance Reddick. And Tumblr, I said Nick Jonas. Lance Reddick? Isn't he, like, 50? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that guy from The Wire. <laughs> is that Mike Reddick? Uh, Nick Jonas is a good call, though. I like that one. I like that. That's good. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see here. Who do we have left? Uh, is it just uh, 
Castlebeck and Drykoff? He's 57. So. Mirror Man's supposed to be like 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's worse than Peter Shimonashek. All right. Uh, Detective Castlebeck. I've got two here. My um, One of them... All right. So I've got... First, it would make sense if, if Timothy Oliphant would play Castlebeck in the remake. I just think that'd be kind of fun. But um, my real Castlebeck, Will Smith... I think it would be okay. interesting to see him in a role like that. And my dry cough is uh, Tyler Hoechlin. I, th- I think he, he could kind of pull mm. off the... the the. I mean, there, there's a very, like, training day vibe between Castlebeck and Drykoff. And I think uh, I think he could pull off that, that rookie... Uh, that rookie kind of learning the ropes and at the same time being a complete idiot. Um, yeah. All right, my Castlebeck, uh, if there was another role that Nicolas Cage would play, it would be definitely Castlebeck because I don't, he plays that kind of old cop a lot, but I don't think he's ever had a partner. That'd be fun to see. But in my remake, I'm with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure why. I just feel like that would be a really interesting dynamic with her and her dry cop being Justin Long. Uh, <laughs> or Jim Cummings, one of the two. And I also have to say that uh, my Johnny B is definitely Kevin Garnett. <laughs> John <of> B. <laughs> All right, Zach. All right, my detective Castleback is Lance Reddick, and uh, <laughs> he's both roles. <laughs> it's a dual role. De aging, de aging. Yes, and uh, my dry cough is Zazie Beats. Mm. Always better. Always a better movie when you can get her in. Mhm. All right. Well, that was fun. I always, I always love how ins- how ridiculous those get when we do those. Um, well, I mean, infinite budget casting for this movie is not all that bad because I mean, the movie does have a in- pretty insane cast. I mean, you got Michael Pena in like what one scene? Yeah, it was like his first like, role though. <laughs> Francis Fisher in a non-speaking part. I just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. But I, I agree. Well, are we gonna say who who the mother would be? Memphis's and uh, Kip's mother. We oh go... sure, sure. Do you have? I don't have one, but if you have one, go for it. Uh, I said Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> Does she still she'd act be, anymore? She's she'd be really old. Yeah, she's she's old. Well, she, you know, it's it's a comeback role. <laughs> she 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 she's still waitressing, <laughs> like age eighty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a wheelchair. Uh, well, in that case, let's just make Otto uh, Jack Nicholson or something, and yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's get let's get into uh, to the rest of our uh, our deep dive shenanigans here. We always start with highest war performance. So this is looking at like the most irreplaceable member of the cast. Um, the the highest wins above replacement. Uh, Zach, I'm going to go to you first. Who has the highest war of this movie? Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought so many of these characters were so unmemorable. No offense, Todd. Um, I feel like they're by, all... By the way, Zach, what, what would you, what, what's your star rating of this movie? What would you give this? Uh, a very, very generous two and a half stars. Because I do think it, it's like, it is kind of fun. And I, I will say I was never bored by it. 
And that's saying something because the movie was really lame and it had terrible dialogue and it actually was fairly disappointing in terms of its lack of car chase scenes, but it was oddly involving. I'm not quite sure why. Um, but, uh, it, there, there were times when I was, when I, when, when I was engaged. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I didn't watch it drunk either. That's, I mean, that's saying something. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go with Angelina Jolie because I mean, I'm not going to say that her role isn't totally replaceable, but I feel, I feel like it occurred, it occurred at an iconic uh, time in her career when she was uh, very much in the Billy Bob stage, it, in the stage where she wore like the necklace with the blood in it and talked about how she was in love with her brother at the Oscars. I mean, she was like the thing at the time. And I can't really think of another actress that really could have occupied that territory in terms of like edginess and danger. Maybe like Michelle Rodriguez, but I don't think she she wasn't as well known in 2000. So, you know, coming off an Oscar win, um, it's it's a pretty impressive performance and she's definitely got the kind of John Travolta and Battlefield Earth type hair a little bit. It looks like she's maybe from another planet. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's pretty awesome in the movie. Uh, so why not? I mean, right. she's like the only woman in the movie. So, you know, makes, makes, that, 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 that makes her war pretty high right away. Well, her and Frances Fisher. Yeah, um, and, and the mother. <laughs> and the mother. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna go. I mean, I'd I'd say kind of the obvious one is is Nicolas Cage, and so I'm gonna go with him as the highest war, just because he is able to just be like all out Nicolas Cage, at least what all out Nicolas Cage was in the late '90s, early 2000s, and completely rock it. And it makes it so hard to think about someone else being in that role because he occupies a role like that in a way nobody else can. So. uh so yeah, Nicholas Cage is Memphis Reigns. That's my that's my highest war. How about you, Todd? Yeah, that's the obvious one. I mean, I guess I'll say Giovanni Ribisi. I, I kind of think he owned two thousand. I mean, obviously okay. he had Boiler Room, <laughs> and he had this, and he had The Gift, which I think he gave one of the best performances of that year in that movie. And plus, he still was acting in Friends at the time. He was kind of like this like hot uncup upcoming actor, and he, like I don't guess he didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, in the last 20 years that's that notable but uh at the time it was, he was i mean it's hard to think of someone else i don't think he looks necessarily like he could be related to nicholas cage at all but uh he has he has his way about him he's kind of a dick but he's also got a heart it's a it's a tough role and i think he he d- does give a really good performance yeah that's a good one too if i wasn't going to go with the obvious one the other one i would go with is uh delroy lindo as detective castlebeck uh, for the simple fact that I think for like 10 years after we saw this, we did not know what Delroy Lindo's name was. Just whenever we saw him in anything, it was Detective Castlebeck. So, um... Wasn't it, he in like the Cider House rules? He was! Yes. You're right! But yeah, anytime we ever saw him after this, it was, hey, it's Detective Castlebeck. And that's all we ever knew him as for the longest time. Um, and so when you have when you have a role like that that you so well occupied that you just are that person... Um, I'd say it's it's worth saying you have a high war. Oh, uh, he had the exact same performance in Ransom. It was like literally the exact same character. Oh, probably, and it's because he's good at it. I mean, yeah. Anyways, uh, all right. So that that's highest war. Now let's go to the other side. What was the worst performance? Todd, what was the worst performance? I think it's Will Patton, because I think he's just lazy and. 
it should have been a more interesting actor and one who could more be that. Like, I think Ian McShane or something at the time would have been, a, like, a really good, uh, really good uh, as, as that character. I, I don't know. But he just says stuff like, he fumbled it, and now he's jammed up. He's jammed up real bad. And I'm like, I don't believe him. I, I, I never believe what, what the words are coming out of his mouth. He, he's still, you know, Coach Yost. He's not, he, he can never be that much of a badass. Didn't like, this come I mean, out the it, same year as Remember the Titans? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's he's, just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard to, it's hard to watch him in that role. Okay. Okay. I, I can see that. I can see that. Some of his line delivery is a little weird. Um, Zach, what about you? I worst think performance. The, the worst performance is Christopher Eccleston as Kalitri, um, because he's meant to be this guy who's like, what is, what is, the, what does Robert Duvall say about him? He's like, uh, about, you know, vicious and like, uh, what's, what does he call him, Todd? Like, he has a reputation, you know. A jackal, a jackal, at yeah. The underbelly un- of, our of, fair, of, fair town. of our fair town. Of our fair town. It's like a line from like a 1940s Howard Hawks movie or something. I um, like how Robert Duvall was laughing at himself as he was saying it. <laughs> oh, he got some. He got some good paychecks for this movie. I'm sure had to pay off some alimony, maybe a couple of uh, of yachts. Um, but, uh, no, I, 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 like, Christopher Eccleston, you know, like, he's got the Ringo Starr accent, and, you know, vaguely, like, wacko from the Animaniacs, and, but then it kind of goes in and out, and it doesn't really, it's not really consistent, and, uh, the guy's really not that intimidating, and especially when, like, Nicolas Cage is, like, throwing his wooden, like, creation, like, he was in shop class, and he's destroying it, and he's freaking, you know, out about it, and it's like, this guy's not, how could this guy be a jackal if he's freaking out about you know his little wooden uh you know ceramics piece getting destroyed uh he's not very intimidating and um yeah this should have been you know like he, he's going from the alan rickman school of you know british uh you know macabre uh villains and it just uh it doesn't stack up yeah he's like a superhero villain that has to have a quirk and and, and it's so it's such a badly written character too yeah that i like how at the end of it when when he is breaking the wood like Nicolas Cage has to remind you oh yeah hey guys remember he has a thing for wood because we haven't talked about this in an hour and a half I didn't and now remember it's going to be a thing when did they first mention that he had a thing for wood because I was confused by that line the, the, when, they call him the, the carpenter they call him the carpenter he a coffin yeah and then he has oh, he, gives the a little, he gives a little soliloquy I mean is anyone going to believe that he's a carpenter I mean give me a break yeah working it working in a in a metal uh, salvage shop, he's uh, he, he also makes... doesn't like baseball. Yeah, he doesn't like baseball. It's so bloody boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you stole mine. I was gonna say Christopher Etchelson for uh, for uh, Kalitri too, but I'm gonna I'll, I'll go with somebody else since you said that. And um, I I love him now, but Timothy Oliphant as Drykoff is just laughably bad at times. Like yeah. some of the line, like Todd and I always laughed at the the line. By the time you get out, man, we're, they're not going to have any cars anymore. They're going to be driving around their spaceships. <laughs> That's going to suck. It's, it's like the worst delivered line like of the decade right there. <laughs> it's so bad. And and everything he says, he's like trying to be a cliche. It, it, like he, he is the cop that is trying to be the cliche. And it just comes out as like stupid every time. Like, ooh, she's mean. What? Don't you ever talk about my wife. Um, it's, yeah. 
How like, is Dra- even even Castlebeck is like, you're an idiot. Just shut up. Yeah. Tra- Drykov should have been played by Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I would have. He probably would have been better would've than Oliphant. <laughs> we always look back at it, Todd, don't we? We always look back and say, that's Timothy Oliphant, man. This is just weird. Yep. In my notes, I wrote down a grand total of one line from the movie, and it was that line. By the time you get out, there won't even be any cars, just just spaceships. That was my favorite line from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I love his delivery. Uh, I don't think he can be. A, I don't think you can call it a bad performance. That's just that's not fair. It's disingenuous it's, to the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's it's just a weird performance. It sticks out as as overtly corny. Just him in general. Um, yeah. Anyways, okay. Uh, I, I could go on about that, but I've, I've decided not to. Um, favorite minor character? Uh, I'm gonna go first. My, I mean, unless you go to, like, the guys who have, like, there's, like, the crew. Or you go to, like, the guys who have, like, one scene. But I'm, so I'm gonna go with my favorite minor character is someone in the crew, and that's Donnie. Um, Chai McBride. Uh, he that my favorite line is him talking to the girl in the car after the after the whole thing. He can't can't negotiate turns. You can't you can't you maintain can't, speed. Maintain you can't speed. Single properly. Can't single properly. You can't parallel, you can't park. parallel park. You can't drive. <laughs> I I can't swim. I know I can't. So you want know to do? I keep my black ass out of the pool. <laughs> it's it, it's. I mean he is. Just everything about him is just so much fun, and uh, yeah, he's he, every time he's on screen, he makes the scene better. So uh, Donnie's my favorite minor character. Zach. Um, well, I guess I would have to go with Mirror Man because he's like he, you know, he's a he's a reminder about uh, '90s stereotype black characters. I mean, probably should have been played by Chris Tucker. But he does have some really funny lines, like when he talks about how um, he's going to go smoke a joint, watch two hours of Roots, and then, you know, kick your ass when he's talking to Sphinx. I thought that was a pretty (laughs) funny part. He just, I will say that he, like, he's also a a low-key, like, a a serious MVP candidate for me because, like, he, there are stretches of the movie, especially in the second half, that are pretty long and boring because I think car chases generally are pretty boring, but, like, he, he brings energy to his scenes. Like, when that snake is, you know, going up his ass, like, that's pretty funny stuff, (laughs) and that definitely woke me up during those scenes that were otherwise pretty, pretty routine. Yeah, yeah, the the little ghetto smurf. Snake's gonna have to slither his ass all the way to the bus stop in the morning. <laughs> uh, all right, Todd. Favorite minor character? Uh, I think mine is. I had to look up the actor's name, Bodie Elfman as Fuzzy, because he's just like Who? this little weasel that. He's. I have no idea how he has such like an intimate like knowledge of the this like top secret crime wave but i mean it's kind of endearing i mean he he works like he says, the fish like, market I, to- I, I i told you everything i know i know this because i said this is everything i know and i'm like he's he's, he's such a he's such a weird character but i mean it, th- those kind of like the uh guys that cops go to just like like randomly because they have something on them you know like they, they have to exist and he, he's pretty awesome at it 
Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I like him too. And yeah, that that's another great line that's just like that what that's just stupid. Like like I wanna see a movie of Fuzzy and Drykoff and see what would happen. Um, like how how he initially got him in trouble or something. Yeah. Alright. So something so Drykoff, I I was watching this and I'm like, okay, Drykoff I think had to be the inspiration for Anthony Dinozo in NCIS. Like, can you see it? Well, yeah, they're basically the same character. I think we've yeah. talked about that in the yeah. past. Well, and, yeah, well, and, and because of that, I always thought that Timothy Oliphant and Michael Weatherly should play brothers in something. It'd but, be interesting if, it, if Michael Weatherly actually acted in movies. Yeah, yeah, and not just CBS, you know, crime procedurals. Okay, moving on. Okay, I think this is Zach's favorite category. Favorite stick man. Oh, uh, you mean biggest stick man. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I have several favorite stickmen, but there can only be one biggest stickman. Okay, so, uh, so Zach, uh, who would it be? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> come, come back to you? Yes, you should come back to me. All right, Todd. I defer. <laughs> uh, okay, well, to me, there's only one real answer, and it's Tumblr. Because, you know, like, like I said, he can, he can drive anything with wheels and some things without, I mean, wink, wink. Uh, he, I mean, he also, and he did, like, invent a new, uh, like, uh, move for uh, rubbing one out, which is kind of funny. Oh, and he's yeah. also supposedly built like a boxer. I, I just think, it, it should, like, a rule should be, like, any con character, father or son, uh, is the biggest stick man in the movie. It's pretty much, like, a guarantee. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I actually wrote down Tumblr as well. Um, let's see, I'm, I'll, I'll try and come up with somebody else, but I think, I think that one's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah. Zach, do you have anything? Yeah, I think Tumblr does have to, I can't even think of anyone else who would, why they would even remotely be, I mean, the, you know, the guy who's getting it in, in the, in the house that, uh, Memphis and Sway are, you know, uh, staking out. Like with the Lamborghini, with the Lamborghini, yeah. but you know we don't find out too much about him. He's pretty well, undeveloped, and, and and I don't think I, I don't think it's Memphis with uh, with how he his uh Absolutely his bedside not. talk of uh, of uh, uh what is it dual loaded carburetors, um yeah I, I don't think dual yeah. <laughs> bolted to each other's by structures. <laughs> Straight in line six. It was triple Weber carburetors. Triple. That was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. brakes too. Good brakes too. Uh, <laughs> throttle linkage. Throttle linkage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, the, I mean, I think Freb. It, it would be a. It could be a, a stick man. Yeah. Like I said, he has that like that Keanu Reeves type like arrogant kind of dumb vibe, and and I don't know. He can order pizzas. He's probably he could probably get it in. Well, and he gets jollies off of dog poop, so. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> I, I I would say like sneaky sneaky stickman might be Toby. Like 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 just kind of like he just at at the at the backyard party he just kind of peeks his head around and like he totally could have just followed that girl into the party. Yeah, and I was gonna say I didn't. I was gonna mention that scene because I don't remember which one of them did that, but there was definitely a connection with that that swimming chick. <laughs> And uh, he did not act. I mean, he was very inert in that scene. And so he gets negative stickman points for that. I mean, the girl wanted to party, man. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. Okay, 
So, uh, so following up uh, Biggest Stick Man is uh, Biggest Douchebag. So, on the flip side, who's our biggest douchebag? Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with kind of a a little bit of a of a meta pick, and that is um, that is Roger, not the car salesman, but Memphis <laughs> playing the character Roger. Yes. Two Rogers don't make a right. Ha ha ha. Yes, yes. This is the one. This is the one. I saw four of these outside the local Starbucks today. GTV 4K. <laughs> that means there are too many wieners in this town with too much bloody money. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Memphis, Memphis's character of Roger, is by far the biggest douchebag in this movie. That's, That's what I'm one. going with. Yeah. How about you, Todd? Well, I mean, I had Detective Drykoff on my uh, douchebag list of when, when we did that for power <laughs> rankings. So, I mean, it kind of has to be. I almost feel like we should rename it the Tilfy Olafont category because, like, I feel like every one of his characters is a douche. Like, I, just the look on his face, I just want to punch him. It's just so sarcastic and demeaning, and he's just, I don't know. It's, it's just textbook douchebag material. But the other one, so, so I don't repeat myself, would be uh, King Alexander as Bad Dude, who's the guy <laughs> in the bar who uh, who's, like, just hounding Sway about getting his drink, yes, even though it's, like, one. clearly he's uh, she's talking to another customer. And, uh, I don't know, he, he's just an asshole, and I'm glad that Sway drinks his drink, you know? Like, how about that drink? Well, I, and I, we, I hate that guy. And Memphis does pay for his drink, too. All $2. I know, that's probably why she drank it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should name it the Drykoff Douchebag Award. No, let's or give it, too Olafon. much credit to this movie. <laughs> all right zach who's your uh, douchebag my biggest douchebag is snake or the owner of the snake humvee <laughs> because seriously who besides like l driver and kill bill volume 2 would like keep a snake in their vehicle you know like luring unsuspecting people to their vehicle i mean that's that's uh, that's not only a douche move but it's also irresponsible as an exotic pet owner it was in a parking garage, though. I mean, it's not like he, they left it there, like, for good. Or it's not like, like... That was just where they were at work or something, right? It was in the middle of the night, though, I suppose. I don't yeah, know. so, like, that, that snake is sitting there for hours, you know, in, like, this cramped little compartment. It's just... It's, it's a douche... That's a douchey thing to do, man. Protect your animals. Get them spayed and neutered. I, I think it's safe to say that that is the, the second best scene in a Nicolas Cage movie uh, involving a Humvee... Yeah. Only borrowing your Humvee. <laughs> uh, we've already talked about that one, though. Um, All right. Well, I had a category. Okay, go for it. Uh, I was going to ask, what is your favorite car in this movie, and why? Ooh, that's a because good obviously question. there's there's fifty to choose from. Yeah, I'll have to think about that one. I I, well, I I always I always like the scene with the Eldorado, and I mean it's not it's not necessarily my favorite car, but just the fact that Freb is all proud of the fact that he boosted a car, with a trunk full of heroin that had the keys in it. In Chinatown. <laughs> in Chinatown. <laughs> and so and and then and then the whole thing of how Castlebeck comes in at that time. I mean, be that. That's the best use of a car in a scene, I would say. 
Well, I, I would say Vanessa probably is my favorite, because, I mean, the Hemikuda, it, it, it uh, inspires Sway to put on her red lipstick and shit. Like, that, that's probably my favorite one, Vanessa. I okay. mean, it's hard, it's hard to beat Eleanor. I mean... Yeah, and Bernadine is the, is the Lamborghini. That's a pretty cool car. I was going to go with Kimberly, the Lincoln Navigator, because at the time of this movie, I'm sure that was like a cool car, but now it's like just a beat up like piece of shit that you see all the time on city streets. And there's like, so like that is, that's one of the things that is comically aged pretty bad in this movie is like the idea of, you know, a, a Lincoln Navigator being some sort of exotic sought after car. Yeah, so that was going to be one of the other things I was going to talk about is what's outdated in this movie. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was, uh... Plus, there's, like, two random Toyotas on the list. Like, what's with that? I mean, they even make fun of Honda in this movie. But, like, like why are, you know, that toy? I think it's, like, a Toyota Land Cruiser. Like, okay, I mean, you know, Toyotas are reliable cars, but not necessarily the most, you know, elegant they don't make fun of Honda. Drykoff makes fun of Honda. And add I mean, douchey points. Yeah. <laughs> These are not Honda Civics. These are not Honda Civics. Um, <laughs> they're Toyotas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd probably have to go Eleanor. I mean, that just everything. And maybe even, like, the beat-up one that he gets at the end. Like, that, I think, I think that, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> All right. Did you guys uh, what what flaws did you guys see in this movie? That you might want to talk about. Okay, well I can start. Um, Go for it. Well, I think the thing that most bothered me in this movie because of how many times we saw it is the scene uh, that takes the many scenes that take place in the suburban neighborhood. Um, like, that does not look at all like Los Angeles. It looks totally, like, removed from the rest of the movie. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit right. It, it like, looks out of, like, an episode of Leave it to Beaver or something. So, it, the, the feel of it is just off. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And then, conversely, when Toby gets shot, uh, they drive from that neighborhood to the dock and like it, it, it seems like it's instantaneous, you know, it's like, oh, it only took them like five minutes to get there because he's still <laughs> bleeding. And it's not like he's, his, his condition is worsened that much. So like, obviously, this neighborhood could not be located too far away from from the dock. But you know, that that's just that that just bothered me. Also, in that very same scene, um, it says that it says, you know, two hours left, and it says one hour left, and it's like totally sunny out. So that was like annoying. Um, and then uh, a couple more things. Most of my flaws are at the end of the movie. Um, why are the cops driving a BMW? Like, what po- what police force can buy a BMW as a police car? That just, uh, that, that's insane. And then the last thing, which I thought was maybe the most egregious flaw because it relates to cars, is why does Eleanor only go to 120 miles per hour without... The, the nitrous boost. I mean, what what is the point of it? Weren't all like the weren't all these cars like made to go? You know, hunt. I mean, I mean, my car goes to 140 miles an hour. You're telling me that this car can't even go above 120 without a nitrous boost? Give me a break. That's all. I rest my case. Those are all valid points. It's an old car. Not that old. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a. The engine. It would have to have a souped up engine to, to really. Just feel the burn that fast. I don't know. Which it must have because it had NOS installed in a 1967 well, yeah. 
that's why <laughs> it was able to go faster. <laughs> uh, my flaw is uh, there is no way the cops survived going through <laughs> yeah, the wall. That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you look at the like well, if you watch like the that entire side of his car has this gigantic dent in the driver's side door. And they open it up, and he walks out like there is nothing wrong. And like, no, dude, your seat doesn't exist anymore in this car. <laughs> You're not gonna walk away from this. That that was that was the one I I thought of immediately. Todd, do you have any? Uh, yeah. So when when they're waiting outside, when uh they're getting their chocolate malt and about to you know tail the thing on the big rig wrecker, like uh, Johnny B says. Uh, boy's about ready to play a game of pin the tail on the donkey i never really understood that line and i don't think the writers even necessarily realized how ironic it was that that's exactly what kip was doing because otherwise i don't know what that would actually mean like they were just he was just standing there talking to a guy and he says he's like playing a game but he actually does like pin a tail on his car and it rips him out <laughs> that i i've never really understood that also <laughs> memphis uh, says to his brother that it's totally not about money, but in the end, he's still trying to negotiate, like, uh, $120,000 out of Kalitri when he's giving him, like, half a car. I, that, I, that never made sense to me that he was still actually trying to get money out of it when he didn't care about the money. He was just trying to end it. I mean, find a way to, to call it even. Yeah, I guess you could say he could have said, just keep the money, keep the car, call it good, but... And also, uh, I have no idea how the floor falls out underneath Memphis when he's, like, uh, running around on top of that uh, <laughs> in the warehouse. That's a good point. Like, I, I'm just, I, I watched it three times, and I have no idea how that floorboard just, like, flipped out from under him. It made no sense. And I also watched it with the subtitles on, and I always thought when the first time he sees Sphinx that he, said, that he says, Sphinx, I love seeing you, but he says, Sphinx, did Otto send you? <laughs> I was like, "What? What? That is, yeah, <laughs> that's not what he says." That's what I. But I mean, if you watch it like a few times, you'll be like, "Wow, I completely misread that this entire time." Wow. Yeah. No, he always <laughs> said, "I love seeing you." That's what I thought he said, but apparently, that's not what he says. <laughs> that that just ruined like what could have been a totally cool line in that in that moment. Sphinx, I love seeing you. Yeah. Weird. That is weird. I also Do you was have thinking any conspiracy theories. Well, well, hold on. One more, one more kind of flaw thing. I always thought it was okay. interesting that you had. I mean, what Memphis is like? Maybe, like a half hour outside of Los Angeles, like at the beginning, right? Like, and that's it. And he's been there for six years and has never had any contact with his family that entire time. Yet Atley knows exactly where he is. I just thought that was kind of well. That that like similar to Kip. That it like he Atley was his family. He, his family was wasn't his actual family. Yeah. I don't know. It did just. Oh look, who's back in town? Well, tech. I mean, he wasn't that far out of town. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Conspiracy theories. Did you have one, Todd? Well, I don't. Know. I just think the the Asian girl that's. Uh, getting uh driver's ed from uh donnie i think that is the mother in parasite mrs mrs park it is so eerily similar how how much they look alike wow 
Like, is it actually? Did you look that I up? I tried. I couldn't figure out what her character's name was. Uh, but no, I didn't. I didn't actually look. I didn't look it up. Cliche the other way. Asian I woman who can't drive. Because this movie indulges in racial stereotypes from '90s comedies. <clears throat> Apparently, really John Carroll Lynch is in this movie. He is. <laughs> Impound oh, yeah. manager. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. What? <laughs> I don't. Isn't he the guy that, that. Ta- takes the ticket at the parking garage? No, that's someone else. No, maybe sure. he's the one that's like that they tell to take him to impound when he says Tom Cruise. I don't know. Oh, uh, maybe. That's yeah, that is weird though. Huh. Zach, do you have any conspiracy theories? I don't have any conspiracy theories per se, but I did have a question, which is, I don't understand the title of this movie. Like, Gone in 60 Seconds. It doesn't, it, it takes them longer than 60 seconds to steal these cars. And plus, it, it's like, it's like 72 hours until they need to get all the cars there, right? So what is, what's, what's with 60 seconds? Um, is that ever, like, mentioned in the movie? Did I miss that line or something? It's just taking the title from the old movie that they don't like in uh, Grindhouse. Yeah. It, it's, it's, that must yeah, be it. That, that has, I think that's that's all it is, is it's trying to just be a remake. When, I yeah, mean, it's the original had no, almost no similarities to this movie at all. But yeah. Have you seen the original? Yeah, I watched it at one point, but it, it doesn't have the, any sort of the same storyline. So. All right. Well, then let's let's get into uh, let's get into LVP MVP. Uh, Todd. Who is your who is your least valuable player in this uh, in this movie? I okay, I have two, but I'll save one so I don't if I in case I steal one of yours. I I'm going with uh, Johnny B's crew because they are like completely incompetent. Like I like a, a guy with these like completely dumb henchmen. I don't know how he could get up to being like a, a crime lord. Uh, like, he, he, they, like, follow Kip and Memphis through, like, a chicken coop and, like, pools and backyards. Like, how dumb are they? And plus, they have their weapons drawn with a cop, like, ten feet away. I, they're just the dumbest criminals. I have no idea how they actually got to that point. They definitely shit the bed for, uh, for Johnny B. Yeah, Johnny B's kind of just horrible in general. (laughs) Uh, Zach, who is, who is your MVP, or LVP, your LVP? Uh, my LVP is, uh, I think I'm going to have to go with, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, because I'm tired, I, I like, Jerry Bruck, this, this I think is when, this marks the end of the Jerry Bruckheimer era, well, I think officially, like, Pearl Harbor marks the end of the Jerry Bruckheimer era, but, um, yeah, just, uh, I feel like in another producer slash director's hands, this could have been like a much more innovative story, but it's the Jerry Bruckheimer shit that really like takes this movie down, like the constant cutting and the, you know, like what's with all the dripping in the, in the flames in the garage and the, in the warehouse. I mean, that's like, so every Jerry Bruckheimer movie ever made. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it just, it gets a little redundant after a while. I think okay. I think I think in your recasting we should have had a new director or screenwriter, like Noah Baumbach, 
Now that would have been a movie I would have loved to have seen. No. <laughs> maybe like, maybe like Edgar Wright and he makes it like Baby Driver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's maybe too too obvious, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, so my my LVP is uh is Tumblr. And this is this is a very plot-driven LVP. If Tumblr doesn't get careless and and break the black light light bulb, none of the issues they have in the last like three or four hours happen. Like it was it was breaking that light bulb that ruined everything. He wasn't careless. He was just holding it sideways. Yeah, he was he was being an idiot with it. But yeah, if he doesn't break the black light light bulb, there is no car chase. There is no. Uh, they also no look at the black unicorn. light like five times, and then they go back to it, <laughs> like, like like oh yeah, I picked up this black light, uh, like uh you know a couple of weeks ago. I'm gonna go back to that warehouse where I found it, and yeah. then I'll figure out what it's what it means. <laughs> and how this is another flaw. How does Castlebeck not know that? purple glass in that shape is from a black light bulb i mean i feel like that's fairly obvious available at any hardware store yeah and then and then the funny thing is when he's reading the memo that it's a black light it, it he almost looks like he's having trouble reading which i thought was interesting and then they go back and and they go back and they're holding black lights and he goes so you know those glass shards we picked up off the floor and timothy oliphant or Drykov's like let me guess black light and he turns it on it's like yeah you're holding one so obviously this is a black light like he could have done so much more to make fun of him in that moment but anyways no yeah the whole situation with the black light so tumblr i'll say tumblr and castlebeck because they all revolve around that i'm going our lvp my other one was the police impound officer because I don't think there's ever been a worse job of security in the history of movies than getting distracted by Mirror Man pl- uh, singing Brick House with a Barbie. That's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, that 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 was not good. That was not good. Uh, not good police work there. Oh man. All right, MVP. Todd MVP. Uh. I okay. Well, I mean, I I think it, I think it's probably Eleanor, because I feel like the scenes with the uh, the '67 Shelby Mustang GT500 are, are when the movie is at its most actiony and not really giving. It, it doesn't really give a shit when 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 once he gets to Eleanor. Like the last like 40 minutes is him just driving Eleanor. It's not even that cool of a car, I don't think. But I, the muscle part really, I, I don't know, fits it. I it's a character in itself, really, and I I, I think like. If, if it hadn't been for those scenes, then uh, the movie wouldn't necessarily have worked. And, you know, it's like a streamlined butterfly. You know, I don't know. Eleanor's probably the MVP. But I have another one, too. I, th- I think that I think that car chase is one of my favorite car chases, like, in movie history. Just that, that whole chasing Eleanor through everything. It's just so much fun. And there's so many, like, ups and downs throughout it. And, yeah, it's good. Zach? Uh, my MVP are all of the uh, crew members, Memphis's crew members who uh, have died and didn't get a chance to appear in this movie. <laughs> so like the Dyer Boys, Henry Santoro, Bill Doolin, and Frankie, Frankie Fish. Fish. Yeah, Frankie <laughs> Fish. <laughs> yeah, because they were spared. I didn't do anything with your money. <laughs> they were spared the atrocity of appearing in this movie. They were probably doing better things. 
Okay, so actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change my my biggest stick man is uh, the crew member they call that is uh, very very busy. Um, that's my. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That, that, that's, that's my biggest stick man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Frankie Fish got scragged. <laughs> uh, so my MVP, this is just like Tumblr being my LVP, it was very plot driven. My MVP is very plot driven. And even though it doesn't, he, he does a terrible job acting it out, Atlee Jackson is the MVP because the fact that he is the one that didn't leave the game. He's the one that knew where Memphis was, so he's the one that was able to go find him to to help free Kip from all these issues. Um, if it wasn't for Atlee, none of this would have been able to happen the way it did, and uh, and Kip would have been would have been done for. So, uh, but Kip would have also never gotten the job if Atlee hadn't worked for Kalitri. Eh, that's a valid point too. But I mean, he he's the one that. And and he's the one that that comes in when uh, after after Memphis decides that he wants it in the chest and not the head, and uh, wait 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 no 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 uh, no I have a special message here from Kalitri, and uh, yeah and so that Kip can can hit them with the crane. Now I mean Atlee is kind of the one that saves the day in a lot of a lot of moments, except for the fact that he doesn't know how to pronounce guillotine. Um, Guillotine. Guillotine. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Brother just took your spot under the guillotine. Um, but yeah. As if I'm, he didn't know that before he said that. Like, he's like, what if I can't find him? He's like, he knows that he's going to kill him anyway. He's just like, God damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have bested me again. <laughs> <laughs> Will Patton, uh, worst, worst performance. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But ha- however, I mean, he is he's like the one that allows for the whole plot to happen, so... See, He's I think my, Sway, Sway was a game changer. Getting her involved actually did uh, uh, advance the crew a lot too. That that was my other MVP. So the the thing about Sway that I realized this time, like for the first time, so he when he goes and gets her, she mentions you got some Italians on the list. Is that like, yeah, yeah yeah? And then and and she's the one when they go to the the garage with all the Ferraris, she jumps all of them because she knows how to work the Ferraris. Like that was the only reason she was needed for the crew is so that she could be in that first garage and work every single Ferrari to get them going. That's the only reason she was called on. When they were stealing Diane, Trisha, Nadine and Rose. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, and, and like, like the, like the Bugs Bunny, bugged out of, bugged out eyes of Toby when he hears that, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, they were going to a garage with four of the cars and they got them. So why are you so? Well, see, I feel like that? Otto also, also would have to be considered for an MVP because, I, I feel like they, that, that group would have had no organization if they didn't have their like granddaddy there, like, with the, with his blackboard. You know his garage. I, I I feel like they never would have gotten anything done. And and his his assistant, who kind of looked like Memphis's assistant at the go kart track. I feel like they theory. might. Yeah, I think I think they may have been the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. You said you had another MVP. Oh, it was Sway. That it was, was Sway. Oh, okay, okay. I and another case for Sway is that in between her two jobs, she still has time inexplicably to watch the courtship of Eddie's father on TV. 
Speaking of which, like, Nicolas Cage is producing a version of The Courtship of Eddie's Father coming out, like, next year. <laughs> wow. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. That is amazing. I was I was a little upset you didn't ask for the uh, the Bill Bixby trifecta. In your, I, uh, I was kind of expecting your, that, too. Yeah, trivia. it's too obvious. <laughs> it was Higgins. Um. <laughs> uh, that was another flaw I had. Like when they're doing that, like that makes no sense. He's like, he's like, he's like. Uh, Kip says Robin One is uh, Magnum PI's license plate, and, uh, and and then he he's like, yeah, but what's the significance of Robin One? And he's like, isn't that the faggy guy that hung with him? And he's like, no, that was Higgins. And then he's like, oh, there's ten points for our leader. It's like, so he got points for correcting a mistake that wasn't even part of the question. But where do, how do you get points in this thing? <laughs> That's a great uh, point. That is, that is a that is a great point. Uh, all right. Any last thoughts uh, on uh, on Gone in sixty seconds before we wrap this up and go to our quote of the day? No, I got nothing. What What more could be said? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, it is it is a great. I, it's one of those just like awesomely bad movies. Like if you want a great straight action movie that you know follows the rules of just classic action movies, and that's it. <laughs> um. Yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds is a great one. I can't believe it's 20 years old. Like, I, I was thinking about this. It We are 20 years removed from Gone in 60 Seconds, and and uh, Robert Duvall was 25 years removed at the time from The Godfather. I mean, when you put it in perspective like uh-huh. that, it's kind of weird. Uh, He's so, old. yeah. Yeah. All right, so that is, that is our deep dive of Gone in 60 Seconds. Let's wrap this up with a quote of the day. Todd, you won trivia. This is your movie. Give us a quote of the day. Well, my quote, uh, of course, comes from the movie, and it, it is something that I feel like we probably think a lot on this podcast. It's uh, Castleback is uh, is talking about the uh, the El Dorado, and he's like, this is the first... This is the first year that they put the uh, whatever it was in, in these cars. And he's like, oh, I don't know. You probably know more about cars than I do at this point. He's like, what are you, slipping on me, Randall? He's like, he just sarcastically says, no, it's just your knowledge overwhelms me. And I feel like we probably, like, sarcastically think that when we try to show off. We're just like, yeah, you're a moron. I knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's a great one. That's a great one. All right, Zach, what do you got for quote? Well, this, you know, this is not a movie of great eloquence. There's no great Shakespearean monologues, but there are a few good one-liners. That, uh, one of which we've already mentioned. So, so I, I have two quotes. One of which we've already mentioned, which is he's a jackal tearing at the soft belly of our, of our fair town, which feels so out of place in this movie. Yet, you know, is in the perfect part of this movie. And then the other line comes at the the beginning of the movie when. Uh, Nicholas Cage is inquiring about uh, Kalitri, and he says, "Is this Kalitri the one who's after my brother?" And I believe it's Otto who says, "Like stains on a mattress." Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like stains on a mattress. It sounds vaguely sexual, but I I, I can't make the connection. <laughs> you need blacklight to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Conspiracy theory. Uh, oh man. All right, so uh, so my quote actually isn't from this movie, but it's one that I think really uh, really encapsulates this podcast well. Uh, this weekend, I had an opportunity to binge watch a little bit of Game of Thrones. I'm I'm still working my way through. I'm part way through season seven of eight, so I'm getting closer to the end. Uh, this is my first time going through it, so uh, 
so yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how how things how how things turn out. But um, there there's a there's a famous Game of Thrones quote that I think sums up this podcast really well, and it comes from Tyrion Lannister, who is played by Peter Dinklage, and he simply says, "I drink and I know things," and I think that sums up this podcast quite well because that's what we do. <laughs> We, we we do what Tyrion does. We drink and we know things. And so that's uh, that, that's what this podcast is all about. And with that, we're going to bring this to a close. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another another podcast looking at uh, what, what's what been uh, coming out in theaters and other uh, fun stuff, looking at another uh, all-decade list that we'll be putting together for you. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. And until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.